in the Word to the book of 2 Timothy this morning. I've been carrying this Word for really for a couple of weeks but not been able to release it. And uh, I really believe it's timely and I believe the Lord is speaking. And man, I really love His presence and what God is doing. And uh, He's doing things all over the land. And uh, man, it's been a great week and uh, from the Trail of Joy Revival, we had some great things, had a great session here Friday and great meetings there. Thanks to everybody that's been participating and helping out in that. I want you to look at the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And, and we're just going to look at a couple chapters here. And uh, so I'm not going to start with an opening verse as I normally do, but I'm just going to preach to you a little bit different today. And this is what I want to minister to, to you about. I believe it's a word from God. I want to talk to you about for the days ahead. And I believe Paul is giving some instruction to Timothy for the days that are ahead. I don't know what all is, is ahead of us. Don't get too far ahead of me there. Thank you. I see. I understand it now. Uh, I don't know what all the future is going to hold. I believe great revival is in the land. I believe God is moving, and if you're watching everything that's going on around us, we know that we are in times like we have never been in before. Matter of fact, we're trying to find a new normal, trying to find what normal is. I don't even know if we know it anymore because it doesn't seem like anything to some degree is normal. If you look at our political world, if you look at the news, everywhere you turn around, there are are dark days and dark things are happening and people that seem to have lost their mind literally uh, were dealing with issues. Last night uh, we were at the Teen Challenge Banquet at the Show Me Center and what was the statistics? Was it a hundred and something thousand people? I think it was, I didn't write it down, uh, every year uh, die from, from overdoses, I may, be, I may have gotten it all wrong, but it was a big number up on the screen. And, and Brother Bolin was walking through it, breaking it down to, to even this point, to the very moment we're together this morning, 20-something people will take their life because of addiction. That is crazy. It's an epidemic that we don't know what to do with. Not only that, is there, there a problem with emotional well-being. We saw the young man in Louisville just this past week, an employee, decides for whatever reason he was going to kill everybody in the bank. And we know uh, that he went in and six people, I believe, five or six people lost their life. Several others were wounded. That's happening everywhere. What happens when a young, when a young child can take a pistol into his school and decide, I, I don't like you anymore and, and take your life? And yet we'll fight against a gun law, and I'm not here to be political, but we've got some real issues. We got things when the economy is not matching our pocketbooks anymore. When there doesn't seem to be enough to go around. When they're talking about the dollar that you and I hold and somehow getting into the entire world system, uh, they're turning it to where there's questions whether that is going to be of any value or not. And whether our future is going to be bright. I, I, I'm not here to paint a dark picture. I, I believe God has given us an answer for the days that are ahead. Everybody say the days that are ahead. I don't know why Paul wrote this to Timothy. I, I looked it up. The name Timothy simply means this. It means to honor God. 
And I believe that's the heart of every person in this room is I want to honor God. I want to honor him when it's good. I want to honor him when it's bad. I want to honor him in the, in the storm. I want to honor him in the sunshine. I just want to honor God. That's, that, that, I believe that's the desire of every one of us in here. Now, I don't know why Paul wrote this necessarily. There were two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Paul is writing from prison in a chain, bound up, locked up. And he's writing to Timothy. Maybe he's writing because the days are incredibly evil. That's what he said what happened in 2 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. That in the last days, perilous times would come. I, I don't know why these things mess us up, but they do. But the Bible already explains. I saw something funny on Facebook a little bit ago while I was sitting in my office. Uh, some guy spent $20,000 that believed that the world was flat, but by the, by the word of God somehow, he figured out that the world was a globe. He spent, that's how crazy our world is. He spent that much money trying to figure, in our day, in our present day. But we know the days are evil. Maybe that's why Paul said this to Timothy. Just could be. Maybe it was because Timothy was facing great responsibility leading the church. Timothy was one of the young pastors that, that Paul had, had, had uh, what do you want to call, mentored. Or he became his spiritual son. And he was now leading the churches. He was being sent by Paul in, into different places. And he was helping instruct and encourage the church. And I, I don't know about you, but it, you, you know there's great responsibility to, to taking care of the church in the days that we're in. Maybe it's because of the unfaithfulness of a generation. Paul even explains here in chapter 1 of, of 2 Timothy. He's telling Timothy, Timothy stand strong because there are some that have walked with me like you have. They've decided I'm done with this. If you don't think those things can happen 32 years ago, this first of this month, I'd done the memorial service of my brother that went to be with the Lord. And he grew up just like I did in the church. He was an older brother. And one day after traveling with my brother and my sister-in-law, and they sang and preached all over, the, all over the nation, done camp meetings and such as that, he decides one day, I'm done, I'm done with this faith stuff. And he gave himself literally over to the world. If you don't think that can happen, you're greatly mistaken. And it's happening everywhere. Paul talked about there would be a great falling away. I, I don't know if that's the reason why Paul wrote this letter. It could have been part of it because there were a number of things going on. Maybe it's because the times are changing. And Paul realized that. I can't do what I did before. I'm not free to come and go. I'm, I'm bound up. Matter of fact, he said, he said it in chapter, verse 4, or chapter 4, I believe it is. He said, now I know that my departure is at hand. I want to tell you, we're in changing times. Church is changing. People are changing. Everything around us is changing. And evidently, Paul felt the need to write to Timothy, and he says these words to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, 
as my forefathers did without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day and greatly desiring to be with you, uh, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Know this, he, he, he must have heard the heartbeat of Timothy, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded it is also in you. Therefore, I I remind you to stir up the gift of God, Timothy, that is on the inside of you. I want you to stir it up, Timothy. Stir up the gift of God, which is in you. Everybody say, in you. Through the laying on of hands of my, uh, uh, through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, nor of power, nor of love. Uh, nor, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul told him, he said, Timothy, you got to stir yourself up. You got to stir up the gift of God. Please hear me, church, to us as believers. I'm going to talk to us, the church today. And I believe it's the Lord. We have lived way too much outside of ourselves in feeling instead of the gift and the grace of God that dwells on the inside of us. And when the feeling isn't there, I don't feel like God is anywhere. But that's not the promise of the word. God said when my spirit comes to you, he will dwell in you and he will be with you. And if you haven't figured this out yet, he does not leave you. So he says it's time for us to stir ourselves up. Listen, I know things are there. I know stuff is around. But if you're not careful, you'll let your feelings dictate the Spirit of God on the inside of you. And I believe the Lord is saying, wait a minute, you can't rest on anybody else. You can't look to work. We heard that in the Word of the Lord a while ago. We've got to trust the Lord. I I prayed that prayer. She don't know how accurate she was because I prayed that prayer all the time out of Ephesians. Lord, grant to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of my understanding will be open, that I know the hope of your calling. And what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance, God, that is in me. Everybody say in me. It's in you. So you got to stir those things up. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to stir yourself up. You better know how for the days ahead. You got to keep yourself stirred up. You got to keep yourself encouraged. You got to keep yourself motivated. Listen, I know we're going to help you, but when we're not around, And I can't get to somebody else. I can't get to my favorite preacher. I can't get to my, and I'm going through it. I better know how to stir the spirit of the Lord that is on the inside of me. Did you ever hear this verse? I think it's Psalm 68 verse 1. I got to do this real quick. He said, let God arise, the psalmist did, and let his enemies be scattered. Then why in the world are we the church saying, come down, O God? When God said, let his spirit rise, let it rise. Now, if there's not a worship in the house, don't blame me. Don't blame them. I'm blaming you. 
Because the worship is in you. The worship is in me. It's not here. Now, this may assist me. This may help me a little bit. But if I got to rel- listen, it may not even be my favorite music. But I can worship with a country tune. I can worship with a bluegrass tune. I can worship when there's not a tune. When you got to worship on the inside of you. So he said, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Look to your neighbor one more time. Say, you got to learn to stir yourself up. Paul said, there's a gift in you. Paul said, there's a gift in you. He said, I found you. You ought to understand. He reminded him of the legacy that he was living in. I know what was in your grandma. I know what was in your mother. And I also got an idea. And I know, Timothy, it was in you because one day I came by and I put my hand upon you and I imparted a gift. I don't know. This is my take on some of those things. I think we're running around. I used to hear people, Brother Kim Clement, when he was with us years ago, Kim would come and he said, people would always get in the prayer line and they'd want him to put his hand on, impart your spirit, impart your gift into me. And I remember many times Kim said, I can't do that. But what he could do was activate what God had already put in them. Hello. It's not about somebody giving you something you don't have, but it's about being activated of what's already there because that was in you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. It just took the spirit of the Lord in somebody maybe to help you and to activate that gift. So he said, stir it up. And every one of us in this room, if you're born again believer, the presence and the spirit of God is in you. Pastor, what is that gift? He says it down here. I I think it's part of it. It may not be all of it. He said he saved us and he called us with a holy calling. I got news for you. If you think the moment you got saved was the only time you got called, you've mistaken. And if you're trying to figure out who you are by a calling, it's always been there. I've already denoted that. That's why he called it a holy calling. It was from God, and every one of us in this room were created for the purpose of God. If you don't have a reason to stir yourself up, stir yourself up for this. I am born again. God found me. I was lost in my sin, and he found me, and he saved me, redeemed me. He had done that before the family foundation of the earth and he has here's a good one he has appointed me for this time I'm I'm in the right time you're in the right time after doing this now me and my wife have done this now for 40 years sometimes I feel like I'm just getting started but I'm appointed for this time and as long as I got breath as long as I'm above ground I'm here to let you know this is my time and as long as you got breath and above ground this is your time it's your time to be everything that God intended you to be So two things are necessary that he said to Timothy. He said, Timothy, number one, don't fear. Don't fear. I didn't give you a spirit of fear. Fear is something that spirits all over the land, gripping people from fear with fear. What are we going to do? How are we going to make it? Are we going to get through? Are we going to be able to keep doing what we're doing? We're fearful the government's going to do this. Fearful they're going to take our money. Fearful they're going to take our job. Fearful that sickness and disease is going to... Listen, ain't nobody had to battle fear any more than I have. I've done it just like you are. One of my dear friends recently 
trying to protect his family from COVID for three years, kept them hid, kept them locked away. I know they had physical, these are godly people. I love them dearly. They may be watching me right now. They, he put, done everything he could to protect his family. Just a few months ago, none of them had been sick. A few months ago, after COVID is no longer hardly on the scene and anybody wanting to talk about it no more, all of a sudden it hits his whole family. How in the world can you explain that? Because when you think you can run from it, you can't. You and I have just got to come to this point. I may not know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. I do know who holds tomorrow. I may not know what it's going to look like, but I know it's already planned out. I wish I had me an organ behind me. I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. But I know who holds my future. I'm speaking to somebody right now. You may not know what the next moment, what the next minute holds, but Jesus has already planned it out for you. He's just wanting you to trust him. Hallelujah. No fear. It's an absolute necessary. We got to keep fear off of us because if we're not, if we're not, if we're in fear, then we're actually not in faith. Hello. And I'm not trying to put condemnation on anybody, but every one of us have to deal with it. Every one of us. It's a battle. It's an, it's an assignment. It's an enemy. Here's the second thing that I believe is a necessary. Listen to me, church, in the day that we're in, you and I cannot be ashamed to stand up and be accounted as the blood-bought, born again, washed in the blood, redeemed people of God. We can no longer be ashamed of it. I have to declare who I am. Come on, somebody. No matter where I go, no matter who I'm around, I've got to be bold enough to say, wait a minute, this is the life that I choose to live. My life is here in Christ. I am one of his. The world, listen, we're getting where we're afraid to identify with anything, but my identity truly is in the Lord. Can't be ashamed of it. I can't be ashamed of him nor of this gospel to say, Jesus, save me. I know what the world says, that you Christians are just weak-minded. You're, you're, you're ignorant. You're really trusting in something that's, that's not even certain. But we got to hold to those truths. That's a mandate and a call of God. Now I want to give, give you five things, five instructions Paul gives to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you need to hear this and you need to get them into your life so that you will live victorious, so that you will live successful, so that you will live holy. Notice how I said, I didn't say H-O-L-Y. I'm talking about the W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy. There's a lot of people not living whole. You're shattered. You're, you're, you're broken on the inside. God never intended for you to live your life broken. 
But as a restorer and a redeemer, he knows how to take broken pieces and he knows how to put them back together. Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever break a lamp or something, kind of one of your favorite lamps, and, and you wanted to glue it back together and, and you got the super glue out and, and it looked like it was there. You know, you got it there and you got fingerprints because your thumb got hung in the glue and, and, you got, and, and it holds together, but it's really not whole. Because at any moment, if a rat came next to it and knocked it over the cat, it's going to fall over and break. But here's where it is. I don't know where I got up with the rat. But here's the reality. (laughs) We don't have them in our house. But here's the reality. When When God makes you whole, there's not a crack. There's not a seam. It is as though it had never, ever, ever been broken before. And you can live holy in the Lord. Not only can you live holy, but I believe God's people are to live prosperous. I don't care what happens to the economy. Listen, either your source is going to be in God or it's going to be in this world system. God will use this system. But my source is of God. If everything I'm trusting in is for somebody to bring it to me and I'm putting my trust in a government system, then what's happening is you don't realize you're a slave to this world. And the very thing that you fight against and you want to rip everybody apart about is the very thing you're entwined in and you can't get out of it. But God wants his people prosperous. I believe God wants wants you to be healthy. Pastor, you know me and you've had these conversations. He knows that. I know it. Man, I I just like to have the offering or the tithe off of all the medications that we have in this room. Think about that for a moment. I'd like to have the tithe just off of all the medications that everybody's taking in this room. Now, I'm not condemning you. I'm on some myself, all right? But I don't think that's how God intended for us to live. I believe he wants us to live healthy in every way to live the life of God. Now, I've got to do this. I've got to do this in just a couple of minutes. Here we go. Five things real quick. He said, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. I'm not going to read every verse. He said, be strong in the grace. What's he talking about being strong? You got to be strong in here. You got to be strong inside. You got to be strong in your purpose. But he told us where to find that. He said it was in the grace of God. And when you don't think you have any strength, Isaiah 40, uh, verse 29 and 31 says something like this. He said, He gives. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Listen to what he said. Even the young men shall utterly fall. And the young men, uh, he said, even the, even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with the wings of eagles, like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Notice he talked about two. He talked about youth and he talked about young men. He's talking about natural strength there. He said, even they will get weak and even they will fall. But he said, I'm the one that will increase your strength. I'll give you wings as an eagle. He didn't say like an He says, as one translation says, as we, as eagles, that will lift you higher than where you ever believed you could ever get to. He said, be strong, be strong. Look at your neighbor and say, be strong. Then he said, be strong in the grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's assistance from God. It's God's ability to do what you and I can't do on our own. There was a time when Paul was battling something. Now we're talking the apostle Paul. We're talking the apostle Paul. And he faced some junk. Matter of fact, if you go through his writings, he talked about things like this. I've been shipwrecked. I've been sticked. I've been stoned. I've been left for dead. I've been run out of town. I've been this. I've been that. But nevertheless, it's not my life I live. I live by Christ Jesus. And he said, I made it through it. Even in a place, he said, I had a thorn in my flesh. I've heard everything under the sun, what that thorn is. Could be from his eyesight. I've even heard because maybe he had gone through a, a family situation and lost his, his wife. I've heard a number of things, but he prayed. And the Bible said he prayed several different times. Lord, deliver me. And God speaks to him in 2 Corinthians, and he says something like this. He said, Paul, Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when you don't think you're strong, he is. And when you don't think he's delivered you, you got to put your trust. I, I'm in his grace. I, I like that the, the Lord spoke about his grace a while ago, told us to speak to the problem. Didn't I hear, did I hear that? In the book of Zechariah, Zechariah prophesied to the great mountain and he said this to the mountain. He said, speak to the mountain. Grace unto you, O mountain. Great grace be unto you. The power of God move you. And sometimes that's where you've got to trust in God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to trust in the grace of God in my life. you got to be strong. I believe these are absolutes. I believe these are traits that you've got, you and I have got to have in our life. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. He said, Timothy, those things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit those to faithful men who will teach others. We got to stay faithful. Now, I know most people in this room think you're faithful according to your standard. According to what I think. Uh, faithfulness in our church years ago we used to give Sunday school pins. Anybody remember those at that era of time? In our Sunday school years ago, if you were faithful to Sunday school and never missed a Sunday, at the end of the year we had a special day. It was usually, I think it was on our homecoming Sunday, our pastor would award from, from all the kids, all, all up, we'd get, a, we'd get a Sunday school pin. I was faithful for the whole year. Faithful. We were there. 
Some of the old saints, the old sisters and brothers, they had them. Man, they wore them proudly at that time. I mean, they had all the years hanging down. That They were there. But faithfulness was showing up. But is that really being faithful? Some of you are faithful to get to your job. But that's about all. Why'd you get quiet? Paul's saying to Timothy, I need you to be faithful. So let's define it from the word, all right? In the Hebrew, that word is emit, E-M-E-T. It means truth. Or in the Hebrew expression would say it like this. That's the truth. And it refers to this idea of stability and reliability. I better say that to you again. Not just talking about showing up. It's talking about stability. Being stable. And being reliable. I tell you, there's there's nobody... No, and, and I love you guys, and it's none of y'all. It's everybody else that's not here. Uh, there's nobody can get more unfaithful than Pentecostal charismatics. Because when God's not moving, we're a mess. We really are. We're, we're a mess. We're not reliable. We're, well, I got offended, and I messed up. But Paul said, Timothy, it's time for you to get stable. In other words, this is the truth. This is the truth whether I have it, whether I feel it, whether it's going somewhere or not, I'm standing in this truth. It gives us a picture of this. In the book of Exodus, you remember when Israel had come out of Egypt, the Amalekites jumped on them immediately. And you remember what happened in the story? God tells Moses, he said, Moses, lift up your rod. And Moses went to the mountaintop or the top of the hill and he lifted up his rod while Joshua and the army was fighting below. And as long as Moses held up that rod, Israel flourished. But when Moses' arms got tired or he got weak, what happened? The Amalekites flourished. So what did they do to Moses? They got him and set him down on a stump to prop him up. And then Joshua or Aaron and her come along, one on each side of him to help steady him so that he could be stable so that the battle would be won. Hello? Talking about that's why we got to be stable and reliable because it's not just about me. It could be about others around me. Leaders in this house, hear me. When you start getting shook, this whole house will get shook. And you don't have to have a title to be a leader. A leader is nothing more than an influencer. Hello. You're an influencer. you got influence over other people. We do something around here that maybe you not agree with or you don't like. And, and if you start showing that off, and you may not have to say a word, but people are watching your actions. Hello? I, I'm trying to get us in the place that God said for the days ahead and for what is upon the land. We got to be stable. We got to be reliable. We are pillars in the house of God. That is another reference that God would use because in a couple chapters later, Moses is dealing with all this people and he's wearing out and God said, choose 70. 
But he said, I want you to choose 70 men of character. And this is what their character has to be. They have to be reliable. They have to be stable. And they have to be trustworthy. What are you? Are you any of that? Well, y'all quiet this morning. But I'm giving you the word of the Lord. It's a must for the hour. And he said, listen, if you're not, notice what he said. Commit thou to faithful men that will teach others. What you think about this, mom and dad, we got our kids in kid crew back here and our babies in, in kid crew nursery. You want to know why little Joey and Johnny's not stable? You better take a look at you. And when you don't think Johnny at two years old is paying attention, you are greatly mistaken. He may not understand everything, but he's watching your actions. He's watching what you do. If you're unstable as water, he'll probably be that same way. If you're loose as, as, a, as a goose, then he's probably going to be that way somewhere down the line. But we got to be strong. And we've got to be faithful. Here's the third thing. i got to land this jet. Worship team, make your way back up. Let me find my note. I just left, lost it. Oh, here he is. Boy, these are good. It challenged me. Here's the third one. You must, you therefore must, everybody say must, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has enlisted him as a good soldier. Here's the third one. You're going to have to endure as a good soldier. We're going to have to endure some things. Persevere. This isn't a picnic. It's not a church social. We're in the battle of our lives. We're in the battle of heaven and hell. This is a battle that is being waged. A battle that is being pressed. And he says, as good soldiers. What's a good soldier? One writer said, a good soldier is the brave of the brave. He's courageous at all times. He's one who is zealous. One who does his duty with the heart, with heart and earnestness. How are you serving? How are you serving God? It shows up in everything that we do. Man, we all got a devil that wants to destroy us. But we keep fighting. And a good soldier sometimes has to be willing to make some difficult decisions. Some good, some bad, and some hard. In other words, a good soldier, I have never been to the army. Thank the Lord. Thank, thank you, Jesus. But I'm thankful for my men and women in the house that have. And the one thing that I've heard when I listen to these guys that went and served and gone through boot camp, I've heard them say something like this. You're no longer your own. They strip you of everything that you are and everything that you have. Your will is no longer your will. About as close as I can get to it is the Andy Griffith show. 
when Gomer decides he wants to join the Marines. And Andy takes him to the post that day for the first day of boot camp. And they show up late. And Sergeant Carter's got his busload of young recruits out. And he's up in their face. And he says something like this. And finally, Gomer gets in line with them. He said, I'm going to be your mama. I'm going to be your papa. I'm going to be your world from this moment forth. Gomer looks at the other guy and said, isn't he wonderful? (laughs) Now, let me ask this. Did any of you that went to boot camp, did any of y'all say that when that sergeant was in your face? No. (laughs) See, I can't get closer to it. But you have to understand something. We're in the army. We're in a battle. And we're going to have to endure some things. You're just going to have to press through. You're going to have to get through it and realize that your life is, may not be your own. You're going to have to lay down your ideas. You're going to have to lay down your will. You're going to have to lay down your pride. There's even going to be times that you might be separated. You might find it's costing me family time. It's costing me things I would love to do. But the reality is I can't because I'm called to serve. And notice this, what he said. He, he, he sets to do one thing. I want to please him who has enlisted me as a soldier. I want to please Jesus more than ever. Not my will. Everybody in this place has got a will and got an idea of what we think the Lord is doing. What if everybody calls this place home? You trust me as pastor. I've been your pastor now a lot of years. You'll say, Pastor, I believe God speaks to you. I know I can miss it. But you trust me. But what about that time when my will or what I feel like God is saying is going opposite of what you're feeling? Well, I just don't know, Pastor. I don't feel. I don't feel. Who are we going to please? If we're going to align ourselves with the Word, it's not about pleasing Pastor Zach. I want to please the Lord. we got to endure. We've got to endure some things. And then notice what the Word said. I cannot be involved and entangle myself with everything in the world. If I'm going to be involved in everything out there, I'm going to fail every time. Here's the fourth thing. I've got, I got to get this down. He said, if anyone competes in athletics... He is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Here's the whole deal. If you're going to wear the crown, if you're going to get the ribbon, you've got to compete lawfully. Paul gives us pictures. He said, Timothy, if you're going to wear the crown, it's not about what you think ought to happen. The athlete can't make up his own rules as it pleases him. But he must complete according to the rules for the crown. We're living in a world that our truth has become this. It's what I feel. This is my truth. This is my truth. There's really not any other truth, but the truth comes right here. And brothers and sisters, listen, we got to do this rightfully. We got to do it lawfully if I'm going to wear the crown. There is no shortcuts in this thing. There's no shortcuts. And a good athlete... His mind is on the crown. That's why I'm not in the gym. 
Seriously. Because the guy in the gym is thinking about being in health. Or maybe he's got to go of being a bodybuilder, being ripped and cut. Just a few weeks, he might be getting ready to go to a show. So he's up at 4.30 in the morning. He's altering his diet. He's doing all of these things. Why? Because he's got a goal in mind. And he knows the only way he's going to get there. He, he can't eat Andy's ice cream. And he can't go to Krispy Kreme donut. And he can't go buy Popeye's chicken. And, and do all that. And have that physique that he's after. It'll cost you something cause you to be prepared. It'll cause you to discipline yourself. Boy, here's a big one for all of us. Rest. Rest. I want to throw something at you just to make you think about this. Please, I'm not attacking anything. I'm not attacking anybody. Please, please. I'm just telling you what God... But this has been in my heart for weeks. I've been carrying it. I see much of the body of Christ striving to grab what Jesus said was already ours. We strive through it in church. We strive through it everywhere we go instead of embracing it and proclaiming what either he said it or he didn't. It's either true or it's not. I, I, do, believe there's, I do believe there's darkness that we have to press through, but constantly, constantly, I, I, I'm struggling that somewhere we're not resting in the things of the Lord. But that's part of a life of a, of a good athlete. He knows he's got to rest. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. Paul said to Timothy, the hardworking farmer must be first partaker of the crop. Uh, I'm going to say a bad word. Y'all don't mind if I cuss for a moment. Is it Okay. I'm in the church. I'm at the altar. It's a four-letter word. Work. The hard-working farmer. If he's going to have a crop, he's going to work hard. I know I got farmers in here. It's hard work. Something our culture, something our day doesn't want to do. But church, we can't be afraid of work. Wait, what do you mean work? To do those things. I'm not talking about work to receive our salvation. Because that's free. I'm talking about work to fulfill the things of the Lord. Working in a sense to bring forth everything that God wants me to bring forth. Because I know something is trying to war against me. To keep me from bringing it forth. Hard-working farmer produces because he's laboring to see it. I, I want to see it so desperately. I, I want to I fulfill the purpose of God. I, I know it almost sounds contradictory to what I said a while ago. But Paul said, I've got to be. Listen, if you want to succeed in life, you've got to work. we got too much laziness. Hello? And we've become a culture that says, if I'm in need because the church is love, then they're supposed to give. Wrong! You better go read the book. Because he said, if you don't put your hand to something, I can't bless it. 
If you don't put your hand to something, I can't bless it. You want to know, if you're trusting me to provide, you may be in trouble. Because I don't have enough to meet every need in this house. But God does. God's got everything that we, we need. A hardworking farmer produces. It doesn't mean it always comes easy, but it produces. Some people, some people expect everything with no involvement or no effort. That's not true. It's not true at all. It's not true in our relationships. It's not true in our finances. It's not true in our health. It's not true in our wealth. It's not true in anything. We've got to be participating. Paul put a good balance in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and I am in His grace. I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than all they, than, than they all, yet not I, but by the grace of God, which was with me. Here's the last thing I'm saying. We're done. And Miss Vivian, if you'll stand at that door, and whoever's going to be baptized, please start following her out right now. Go with her. She's going to lead you out. Here's the last thing. I believe the farmer has to be first partaker. In other words, church, if you and I are not living this thing out, don't expect that world. If you and I are not going to carry the fruit of it, don't expect your kids. If you and I are not going to live it, don't expect our grandchildren. Because we are first. If we're going to produce something, we got to be first partakers of it. It'd be like you sitting around your house, sitting at your table with your son or your daughter or your children. Now, let me tell you the truth. Life's going to be hard. Life's going to be tough. And you've got your bud here and you've got your, your chew here and you've got your cigarettes here. And I'm just using those things. I know there's people in this place that do it. But if you're saying, now, friend, now, son, little Joey, little Johnny, little Susie, you don't need to do this. Because this stuff can be addicting. This stuff can be addicting. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do this. And you don't need to do this. And you don't need to sniff and all this. If you'll stay, but if you're doing that, your signal just got messed up. And I'm sad to say to the world, that's been the signal from the church. Because we party on Friday and Saturday, then come in here and hallelujah party in here. Nothing better than a Holy Ghost party. But we forgot Friday night and Saturday night party. And some of our friends walked in and saw us. And said, Wait. I never will forget the guy years ago. Me and Diane worked for my first job before we were married. I think she helped get my first job. Was for a cleaning, a dry cleaners. It's funny, our boss, great guy, businessman. But when the preacher and the saints of his church come up, he got hallelujah. I remember seeing him, hallelujah. I remember seeing him do that a couple of times. But when they're not there, oh man, he had some stuff come out of his mouth. 
That's been 50 years ago. And this guy still remembers that. Don't think it goes sometimes. So what's the end of the story? The strong take the spoils. The faithful receive the reward. The soldier who quits fighting, he'll not see victory. And the athlete who stops running will never win. And the farmer who stops working will never see a harvest. But for the days ahead, I believe we need those five things. Stand with